Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pivot Podcast. Each week, join career coaches and Pivot Discovery co-founders, Alexandra Balistrieri and Kimberly Tilly, as they interview an extraordinary and inspiring guest who successfully pivoted away from unfulfilling work to pursue their dreams. Benefit from their insight and experience and leave with actionable tips to reframe your future. We're excited to bring you today's show where we're joined by Deborah Bonzel, well-being revolutionary and founder of The Well Workout, LLC. Deb is a certified health coach, mindfulness trainer, laughter yoga leader, and group fitness instructor. Deb spent nearly two decades in the corporate world guiding talent and leadership development initiatives prior to starting her own company. We're going to talk with her about her journey and the pivots she took along the way, her perspective on the importance of total well-being, and her advice on what you can do now to make a difference in your career. Now let's jump into today's interview. Deborah, welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you here. Great to be here, Alexandra. Thank you. Before we talk about your current work and your current company, let's talk about your journey. What were you doing before you pivoted to what you are currently doing now? The best way to describe my pivot, Alexandra, is that I was doing leadership and talent development work for over two decades for a variety of organizations, mostly in the healthcare and biotech space. I left in 2017 to devote myself fully to the work of promoting well-being in the workplace, which I had always been doing on the side or infusing the main job that I had with this focus. But I got to a point where I just couldn't not focus on this anymore. It sounds like you enjoyed the work that you were doing, but what was your vision for what you wanted to do? For all of us in our work, it's a mixed bag of the things that we love to do, the things that really tap into our strengths, and then the things that we're competent at, but that don't light us up, right? This is the work that you both do, I know. (laughs) And and it's always a a game of percentages, right? (laughs) And I think what, what I got to was the place where the things that I really wanted to do were a small enough part of my job that it it was unsustainable for me to continue to go forward. And I had the window of opportunity to make a choice. Sometimes we don't have choices about the luxury of doing exactly what we want to do in our careers. (laughs) You know, it's the idea of working to live versus living to work. And I found myself at, at both ends of that spectrum over the course of my career. A lot of our clients express that they're very tired at the end of the day and they feel like they have Mm. the longest day ever. And it usually represents a skill mismatch where they're just doing a lot of tasks, often tasks that they are good at, but things that are just draining and that burn them out. And I'm wondering if it was a situation like that or about maybe just feeling like you could be doing so much more. I would say, Kimberly, it was a combination of the two. And and I think energy is such an important thing to pay attention to. Even when I was in a mode of work that I enjoyed, I, I know one of your previous speakers talked about facilitation and you know being able to work with other people as being a strength. And that's definitely one of mine. And, and I had that opportunity to do, do that type of facilitation work. 
but it wasn't around the content that I was most passionate about. And I think that's where I became convinced that I could make a higher contribution if I allowed myself to really focus on the genre or the niche that was calling to me and where there was, I felt an unmet need. That kind of gets to your vision. Well, I would say that I got interested in the topic of work-life balance, employee well-being, how people stay healthy at work. Over two decades ago, it was actually what I wrote my master's thesis on. Um, no kidding. I was, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So it does it does go back to the late '90s um, as a as a topic of study and interest. What became the burning platform was seeing more and more people coming to the the training classes, the programs that I was guiding, stressed to the point where they couldn't focus, where they were feeling distracted, pulled in different directions. It was like the work we wanted to do together in the classroom or the, the learning journey wasn't possible because the more basic needs of, of feeling energized, feeling balanced, feeling focused, that was missing. And so I felt like this was what I wanted to do was back up the train a little bit and help people to show up to work with more of a full gas tank and to be able to maintain that over the course of the day. You really can't focus on anything that's you know, more customer focused if you don't have the very basic needs met for yourself. This is that's exactly right. And I think, you know, I talk about four dimensions of well-being in my work and and really at the root of it is the the physical and the mental dimensions that you can't get to these higher order explorations of what do you need for your emotional well-being and your social well-being, being in relationship with other people, if those physical and mental well-being needs are not satisfied first. But it escapes our notice that we have these unmet needs. Absolutely. And I think that we've all been the analogy of frogs boiling in a pot of water. <laughs> I think we've all been working in an environment over a period of time where we've slowly, slowly, slowly gotten ourselves out of balance. But it's the normal. It's, it's what, we, what we're comfortable with or what is customary. And we almost don't remember a time before that. And I think that's when people start to really struggle Absolutely. When you get to a point where you're so mm -hmm. out of balance that mm -hmm. you, you kind of can't remember what your true baseline is, it becomes hard to recenter. I'm thinking about something you said earlier. It's easy to get into a routine, but the maintenance of well-being, because you have to be cognizant of it, that can be really difficult when you're balancing that in your everyday life with all the other priorities and demands that are coming at you. Absolutely, Alexandra. And this is what I studied, you know, in parallel to having still my corporate jobs that I was doing over the last eight to 10 years. I got certified as a health and wellness coach. I learned how to do mindfulness training. I became a group fitness instructor, a laughter yoga leader. I did all of these side certifications to learn these techniques. For me, being a student of this discipline, it became clear that for many people, the prospect of trying to take care of your health and well-being felt like a full-time job it felt in and of itself so daunting. Like it, there was this whole other thing of to-dos mm -hmm. that, that people had to do. And how are you going to fit that in when you have work, commute, you know, family, friends, hobbies? It, it just, I think, has been a daunting prospect made worse 
frankly, I think by the internet and the volume of information that we've all been overloaded with. To your point about how do you fit in the wellness, those are the activities that always are the first to get sacrificed. If you Mm -hmm. feel like you don't have enough time for everything, those are the first things to go. Absolutely. We don't give ourselves permission because it feels like a a quote unquote luxury to take care of ourselves. And this is a myth that I think has been fairly entrenched in our culture and not just recently in, in your lifetime or mine. I think it goes back a couple hundred years to the Industrial Revolution where people went from doing jobs that were very task focused. And, you know, once you milked the cow, you know, planted the the wheat, fixed the the truck, you know, or whatever it was, you could stop. It was understood that, okay, I've made my contribution to my work and now I can play, I can rest, I can do whatever else in my life I need to do. And the industrial revolution changed all that. Time became the equivalent of money and assembly line shift work. You could just continue with no end in sight. And this that, that is sort of fascinating. Yeah, like, cult of efficiency is really what has been described that we all gave rise to in our country in the Industrial Revolution turn of the century. Would you say that over time that that has continued to be the trend forward? I believe so. I, certainly in my mind, we still prize any improvements or enhancements that can make things faster, that, that we can do more of in a shorter amount of time. This is the brass ring ideal. And the idea of doing things more slowly, or even not doing them at all seems counterintuitive. Yeah, I that's just like such a new idea for me. It just kind of blows my mind a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, again, because it is not the prevailing norm. And this is why I call myself a well-being revolutionary, because some of what I'm suggesting we all consider are really challenging some basic assumptions about how work gets done and what productivity looks like. What is the path to a productive and successful work and and life in general? Would you be willing to tell us um, how did you feel about leaving your your former job or your your current situation, and what were your time frames? My journey to leave my corporate role and start my own business had about a four year time horizon. And two of those years, I was still employed, but I didn't feel that I had the window to make the leap. I I knew the direction I wanted to move in, but I had some practical limitations. A couple of kids in college, uh, the need for, you know, some health insurance and kind of all the trappings (laughs) of, right, A, a, a steady corporate gig. And, and I also worked for a great company where I, I really enjoyed my coworkers. I, I felt like I did have a work community of sorts. And I was proud of the work that my company employer was doing. So there was this period of two years where I was sowing those seeds on the side. And, and I was trying to embed my passion for this topic of workplace well being into what I was hired to do, which were other types of leadership and talent development programs, etc. 
After I decided to leave, which was in 2017, two years after really setting an intention to move in in that direction, the opportunities, practically speaking, opened up for me where it became more possible for me to be self-employed again. I was lucky enough to have senior leaders and mentors who really encouraged what I was doing and who said, you can come back and and be a, a thought partner and expert and consult with us and and really bring your expertise from that vantage point of an external because there wasn't a full-time role. That's great where they were so supportive for you to go out and do what you really felt like you were meant to do. Yeah, it was a blessing uh, to get that encouragement and it has continued to be that in the course of the last year since I officially founded my company. I've been lucky enough to reunite with a lot of my former colleagues at at different organizations that I worked at who have wanted to partner and and bring bring the ideas that I'm putting forward into their organizations. So I feel like it's a bit of a full circle story. Now that we're in the middle of a pandemic, is that having an impact on your work or having an impact on what you're doing specifically in your company? It's a great question. I founded my business in the fall of 2019. Actually, September 11th was the day that I got the notification from the Secretary of State that my (laughs) um, LLC was uh, approved and accepted and filed. And I thought, well, that's an interesting day and an anniversary date to have for the beginning of my business. And then in about early January, I was meeting with a number of colleagues uh, and talking about what my strategic plan was for the year. And I had one colleague who just looked at me and she said, wow, Deb, I'm so excited for you about what you're doing, but I, I wonder if you're still a little ahead of your time. And fast forward about six weeks, actually, (laughs) and the shutdown hit, and I I called that friend up and I said, what do you think now? Do you think I'm ahead of my time or do you think that I'm sort of right on time? And I think the answer to the question about how has the pandemic changed is I was leading well-being programs in person at organizations prior to the shutdown. But I pivoted very seamlessly onto Zoom without missing a beat and actually have found that in some ways people are really appreciating the scalability that is offered when we can reach people all around the globe at different times of day without incurring any travel costs or (laughs) thinking people and and making them have to be co-located. There's a way in which it's actually expanded the reach and the impact of the offerings that, that we have at the Well Workout. So that's been a blessing. Can I ask you just for like maybe an example or two about something that you could do over Zoom? The, the whole basis for the Well Workouts offerings, it's predicated on the, the idea that well-being is a skill that can be learned and practiced, just like playing a sport or, you know, an instrument. And so we do these interval style workouts that practice the skills of well-being in four dimensions. We, we rebalance from work by playing through purposeful, playful exercises and laughter We rebalance from being in motion by resting actively, using mindful approaches, uh, restorative yoga postures. We rebalance from uh, deciding and doing, being in that activity action mode by gaining insight and contemplation through these reflection exercises. And then finally, we rebalance from this solo hero's journey that all of us do when we're on the planet as individual human beings. And 
we intentionally connect in community. These are the four practices and we can do these exercises in 10 minutes or less. It can be right size to fit the needs and timeline that an organization wants to devote to this work. 10 minutes? 10 minutes or less. We can practice and make a meaningful shift in our well-being in 10 minutes or less. Are people receptive to this, the people at home, or do you find that participation changes at all between that versus like when you were able to be right in front of people in person? I have to say that overall, what I'm finding is that people are welcoming the bite-sized practice opportunities. You know, our world has sped up even during this time of COVID. People are no less busy mentally than they were before. We're we're not moving about the planet the way we used to be. But to be able to shift your experience of well-being in a short period of time and then get back on with the rest of your day, people are viewing this as an essential, not an optional way to stay grounded, to stay sane. And we're getting quite a following in our partner organizations with doing these regular practice sessions in short intervals. It really is an essential, but it's one that a lot of people have neglected, as we were saying earlier, and and something that you can neglect it for so long, but eventually it just becomes something where it's it's obvious that you need to take care of yourself. You know, sometimes I, I appreciate when there's a little bit of, how shall I say this, maybe lack of clarity about what we're going to do. And, and I don't ever mean to mislead people, but I think people just don't really understand, well, what is a well-being practice session? So let me show up, let me be curious, have a beginner's mind. And then once they feel the difference, the change and in, in how their energy levels are, how much more joyful they feel, it's like, wow, this is amazing. I want to keep doing this because the results, the affect that people experience speaks for itself, but they never would have said yes if they knew this is what we're going to do. They had to have a felt experience of it to buy in. If you were going to share just one message about well-being with our listeners, what would that message be? It's a message that I have shared many times over. And actually, I, I wrote it on my body one day when I was offered the chance to participate in something called Dear World, which gives people an opportunity to share something that, that they would like the world to know. And my message is quite simply that well-being is a choice and that for all of us, we need to choose ourselves because we can't contribute to the world if we don't first fill ourselves up. I love that. I love that too. It sounds like we're really focused right now on mindfulness, but when I go, you know, on your site and I learned a little bit more about the well workout, it seems like the well workout is more than just mindfulness if I'm reading into it correctly, like it it is it means a lot more. So I was curious what does well-being really mean to you? How did you get that title for your company, The Well Workout? I would agree with you, Alexandra, to say that the offering that, that we have is more mindful than mindfulness per se. And I think the key is back to this idea that practicing the skills, doing the behaviors that are going to rebalance us from the stress of our busy modern work lives is a choice. If we want to take one minute away from a task that we're doing and just put our head down on the desk and take three conscious breaths, that is a way to rebalance ourselves. So is having a good belly laugh. 
getting up, putting on a, a bit of music and dancing or considering the question, what have I learned today? That's a reflection break that we can build in. And again, it doesn't take very much time to do it. Same with calling a friend or if you're feeling a bit isolated, reaching out to someone. So these are strategic choices that we can make and that in community, we can actually practice these skills and get uh, the amplifier benefit of doing them with others. So Deb, what's next for you in your career? The future is uncertain, isn't it? So every day is unfolding um, in new and unexpected ways. But I would say when I think about 2021 and beyond, my hope is to continue to ignite this conversation, to shine a spotlight on the importance for all of us of challenging some of the status quo myths about what it means to be productive in our work, in our lives whether that's perhaps more speaking, a TED talk, being able to get the word out to larger groups of people about the value of shifting our mindset about well-being and really reclaiming this birthright. There may also be some writing in my future. I'm not exactly sure what that oh. will look like, whether it's some articles or a blog, a book. I have no idea. But these are, these are aspirations. The idea of a TED Talk is so exciting. Well, the TED platform is ideas worth spreading. And to me, this is one of the most fundamental ideas to spread is the fact that we all deserve to be well and and that we have the capacity within us to rebalance ourselves. We don't need anybody else, right? We don't need all the information from the internet. We don't actually need a coach or a guide. We have these innate abilities to play, to rest, to reflect, to connect which is how we get back in balance, how we achieve a level of homeostasis for ourselves more holistically, not just in our biology. You know, you mentioned the internet and one of our previous guests, he's a high school teacher. He was talking about how much time his students spend online and staring at screens. Now that people are home almost all the time, people have an overload of the computer, but they feel like they can't walk away from there's more of an expectation that you answer emails more quickly and, and all of those things. It's absolutely true. And this is why the prospect of up-leveling our well-being in a vacuum and doing it individually is so very daunting and challenging. It's the system that needs to change. It's the, the broader rules of engagement. And, and this is the inside out, but it's the outside in approach that also needs to happen where you start to contract with your family, with your coworkers. This is how I want to be able to live my life and the degrees of engagement and connection that I want. Also, how I'm going to step away to give myself permission for that and for others to know how and when they can expect to hear from me again. All it takes is some courageous leaders, frankly, and, and people who have influence, I think, to start to shape a new norm. We're very adaptable as a species, if you think about it. We, we didn't learn how to do things like brushing our teeth and basic hygiene things. That, that wasn't what we were innately born with as practices when we were early indigenous species. It, it evolved over time. So we can develop new habits and new well-being hygiene. That's where all of my work as a, a 
leadership development professional really informs the approaches that we offer in the well workout is to get senior level sponsorship to really work with organizations to figure out where are the signals coming from that let people know that it's not just okay for them to take care of their well-being and to do it in a closet, but to actually do it out in the open and to model that, that that is a good thing. And it takes senior champions and, and leaders to really step forward and model that themselves. I also believe that you're right, though, that that shift would not necessarily take a long time. You could have a few leaders do this and even people who are leading without authority, so to speak. Absolutely. Yes, you get people with position power, but then also people with what I call personal power or influence, mm-hmm. right? Who are the people that, wow, if, if she's doing it or he's doing it, it must be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And the same thing is true, I think, in our families and our friend groups, you know, behavior is contagious. And so if we think about wanting to feel more energy and balance and connection and joy in the course of a day, who are we surrounding ourselves with and and how can we enroll others in being part of that that goal and and do the practices together that are going to get us all there? There's an element of just setting expectations that's helpful with any friend group or, or work group. If you tell people, hey, I don't answer emails after... 5 p.m. You know, I'll I'll respond in the morning. That's actually really helpful. So that once people hear it once, it doesn't come across as being uncooperative or anything like that. It's just an expectation that you've set. Yeah, clear communication. And and I think it's also an individual journey, right? This is the inside out part of it, of all of us deciding what are the rules of engagement or the contracting shifts that are the most important for me to make and with whom, so that I can up-level my well-being in the here and now. Like, we can't do it all at once. What are the incremental baby steps? The one thing you'll do to protect uh, time and space. That's an interesting segue, because I wanted to go back to your decision to go out on your own mm-hmm. and to found your own company. I'm curious, because I talk with a lot of people who are struggling with making a decision like that. There are lots of reasons why people might choose not to. They might be apprehensive. Right now, it it would be very frightening to just decide to leave a job and go off on your own um, because of the economy. Or it could be other things as well. You know, it's just the stability of having a corporate job or or at least a longstanding job. All of these things can hold people back. How would you address people or, or what would you say to them or what one tip would you give to them the people who are feeling the way that you felt before you pivoted? It's such a good question. And I think, again, this is such an individual choice. Not everyone is meant to be an entrepreneur. Many people are going to be, because of their values or their circumstances in life, maybe more satisfied working in more of a structured, traditional corporate or, or any sort of a, a job where you, you report into someone else. Um, not everyone is meant to be their own boss. And, and I think even though I did make that decision and feel that the flexibility, autonomy, ability to create something new that I was yearning to do did fit into my personality and sort of the strengths that I have, I, w- I was terrified myself and knew really? that I didn't have 
everything that would be needed to mm-hmm. be a, a business owner, a CEO. And so I guess my advice is, first of all, decide that there's that first fork in the road of, do you want to work for yourself or would you like to work for others? Is that, is that the better option for you? And without value judgment, just align yourself in one camp or another. And then from there, if going out on your own is something that is appealing, it's about finding your cabinet of advisors and the people that are going to coach you, perhaps ways in which you'll outsource or bring in additional talent. I've been very lucky and blessed to have uh, a colleague, longtime colleague and collaborator of mine who I originally hired as a, a business coach for me actually join the operation. And she's now the COO of the Well Workout, Linda Adraveno. Oh, and we have an amazing so cool. complementary skill set. Yeah. So the things that I love to do are not exactly in her wheelhouse and vice versa. I've been able to have her take the lead on aspects of the business that, that don't suit me, that don't play to my strengths. So I, I think it's about realizing that you're not choosing to either be alone or with others, <laughs> that there's a middle road there. And I think just understanding tolerance for risk and where you find yourself most placed on that continuum of entrepreneurship. There are people who want to go out on their own because of their values or because of their skill sets or their strengths. All of these different things can play a role. But in your case, it sounds like you had a calling. You know, there was something that you felt like you were meant to do. And when you hear that calling, that there's something out there in the world that you specifically are meant to address, it's almost an exercise in futility to try to ignore it because it'll come up again and again. I so agree with you, Kimberly. I mean, whether it's the law of attraction or you know how you want to think about it, I do believe that we all have something that we're here on this earth to to give and to contribute to the planet and once i got clear that that i had gifts in the the arena of building communities of well-being it became very difficult for me to ignore that paul and for about 10 years i had a, a quote at the bottom of my signature line of my personal Gmail account. And it was a quote from Howard Thurman, who was a 19th century theologian, philosopher, and you might be familiar with this quote. He said, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do that. Because what the world needs is more people who have come alive. I have never heard that quote, but I love it. Mm. Yeah. And that's been my North Star of just asking myself this question, what makes me come alive? What makes me come alive? And, and I spent years trying to bring my answer to that question into the jobs that I had. And I think I was partially successful, but then the full expression of it has just manifested in the last year because I was at a place in my life and kind of all the things lined up to make it practically possible for me to become a business owner. Not to mention such a huge need in the world right now is... Yes, the synchronicity of it is not lost on me. (laughs) And I'm feeling very grateful for the opportunity to have been set up to launch right away. The day we had shut down, I was really ready to go and have a set of offerings where we could make meaningful shifts in people's level of stress and suffering and 
pain in just a few minutes time through these practices. And, you know, you talked a little bit about how it was something that you were kind of manifesting for like 10 years, right? Always kind of thinking about it. Um, And it wasn't until just like a year ago when you finally saw your full dream come to fruition, you know, maybe it was just meant to be the timing of it all just seemed great. And it came at a time when the world was really, really ready to embrace this concept. Yeah, I I think that's true, Alexandra. I I think we all can point to different signs telling you that you're on the right path. And I've tried to stay very open and just listening to the inspiration coming from all directions about where am I supposed to be placed next. And and I do think that I I am squarely doing right now what I was meant to do. And and it doesn't feel like work. I think that's the ultimate testament is that I, I feel very privileged to be able to be of service and and my own well-being is incrementally increasing <laughs> because I get to do these practices alongside of other people. So Deb, for people that are new to well-being or interested in exploring more, do you offer any type of resources for people to check out and learn more about it? Absolutely. So Our website is thewellworkout.com and we have a series of free downloadable articles and resources to help people really get started and understand more the business case and the science behind well-being and how we can all grow our resilience by doing these practices. So I hope people will check those out. And then if you also are interested in joining our virtual community, you can just give us your contact info on the a page on our website that asks for that. And I do regularly uh, lead community well-being sessions and practices, and we have other uh, events that we host from time to time. So we're hoping to expand the tribe to be as large and, and reach across the globe with people who want to <laughs> practice these skills together. What exactly is a virtual community? Well, it's really just a group of human beings coming together when we practice the skills of well-being virtually. It's usually in a Zoom room, which many of us are very familiar with life on Zoom, but these sessions are like no other Zoom meeting that I do in the course of my day (laughs) because we're doing things like laughing and playing. We are restoring our energy by resting together. We're reflecting on things that matter to us. And we're connecting in a very deep and heart-centered way. This is what a, a virtual well workout is like. It's, it's similar to if you went to a physical gym and you were working out the other muscles of your body in sequence, right? Doing this HIT type of training, high impact interval training is I think the name for it that most people would recognize. And I say that this is a human impact interval training practice. That's why I call it the well workout. I like that. But you don't sweat. That's the difference. It's a no like sweat workout. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no gym, no dumbbells or, or equipment needed. <laughs> Just need to bring your full self. Deb, are all of the resources that you're mentioning, they're all linked from your website? Because we can put this in the show notes for people to find. Yes, absolutely. You can download the PDF copies of everything from our website. Terrific. Deb, would you be willing to give us a taste of what one of the practices is like in a well workout so we can all experience it together? I'd be delighted to. As I have already spoken about, we need to rebalance ourselves from the stresses of modern life and the work that all of us do in one domain or another. 
So one of the easiest ways to rebalance from work is to purposefully play and laugh. So I want to invite us all for the next couple of seconds here together to do two things. First of all, clap your hands. Just put your five fingers and your thumb together. Clapping, clapping, clapping. What this does is it activates the pressure points in your fingers and starts to send energy throughout your body. And now while we're still clapping, I'm gonna invite you to just imagine something that makes you laugh, but really for no reason. We're just gonna laugh. <laughs> we're clapping and we're laughing. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe our clap goes above our heads while we're still laughing. <laughs> and now we bring it back down again. Uh, and we can slow our clap down and we can just giggle <laughs> and sit here and smile. And just notice how you feel right now. The level of energy in your hands, in your chest. Just what has shifted for you doing this 60 seconds of a play practice? Two things that we know how to do innately. We know how to clap. We know how to smile and laugh. And this is what we can all do. We can choose to be well in any moment, invoke it. So that's a play practice. That was oh. so easy. So easy and so quick, right? And it made it, it literally makes a physiological difference. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel energized. I'm sure everybody feels different after that, but I definitely yeah. feel very energized afterwards. Great. Well, that's the goal of a play practice is to re-energize us and our body will follow if we just do those simple moves. Deb, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you here. It was so wonderful to hear about your career journey and all the wonderful things you're doing at The Well Workout. Thank you, Alexander and Kimberly. It was wonderful to connect with both of you. And I'm inspired by the work you're doing as well to help encourage others to sort of move in the direction of their dreams. And that will do it for this week's episode of Pivot. Our guest this week was Deborah Bonzel, who's a well-being revolutionary and the founder of The Well Workout, LLC. You can find Deb's contact information in the show notes, along with our contact information for Pivot Discovery. We provide career services and specialize in career transitions to help individuals reframe their future. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and review an Apple podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with a brand new episode of Pivot.